What has been a little bit distressing over the last week is people are picking and choosing data that is typically accurate data to accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, uh, as always, thank you uh, in advance. Uh, this has been an interesting week with new data coming out about the Delta uh, virus and questions about the efficacy of the respective vaccines. Uh, what can you share with us? Uh, obviously, clients um, are trying to manage uh, this issue. People are very worried about personal safety and security, the reopening of businesses, schools, and what rules should be followed. David, to me, what has been a little bit distressing over the last week is people are picking and choosing data that is typically accurate data, but it depends on how you put it together and how you portray it. People are using it to accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. Um, I think so trying to get to the 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 deep actual data and what is what does the deep actual data say is real important and um, what, I, what I'm seeing is that everything is very consistent that if you are immunized you are very effectively protected against serious disease and death including with the Delta variant that's to me the most important piece of data now people who are vaccinated are still getting uh, COVID, especially with the Delta variant, but they're not getting sick. Uh, it's, it's, and that's happening fairly regularly. But with the way we're, that we're reporting data, that we're just reporting uh, r- the rates of all people getting it is complicated because it's, we're talking about two totally different populations and two totally different outcomes. If you were vaccinated, you have one set of risks and one set of outcomes. You're not going to get that sick by by and large, the overall risks and everything is about risk. If you are not vaccinated, then you have a much higher chance of becoming infected and a much higher chance of getting significant disease and dying. But we're not reporting it that, that way. We're reporting it as a, a global number, and that's just getting to be very problematic. I agree with Bill. In fact, I was advising a company uh, that has a factory in West Virginia. I asked them what the prevalence of disease was in West Virginia. And they said it was five per day, five new cases per 100,000. That's um, a low moderate level of activity. However, when you uh, dug a little deeper, only 50% of West Virginians are vaccinated. Therefore, uh, really, the per, for those that are unvaccinated, which the, almost all the cases that are, that are uh, being reported are among unvaccinated, it would be more like 10 per 100,000. And that is now high moderate. And you really need to adjust your activities in your factory when the levels are higher. So I think you, whatever the percent vaccination is, um, then that should determine, you should multi, if, if half the individuals are unvaccinated, then multiply the value that, that's being reported by two. And then you'll have a more accurate assessment of the activity in your area and what you need to do. 
Well, and, and here I can give a, a specific uh, the numbers on that from an actual case. And um, in Israel, and we, we were talking about how some of the Israeli data is not perfect, but still Israel was saying that they have a 50-50 ratio in terms of infections, 50% are in people who are vaccinated and 50% are in people who are not vaccinated. But there's only about 20% of the population in Israel that's not vaccinated. So if you take that ratio and you apply it against the real numbers, then they have a rate of, of about 15 per 100,000 per day in those who are unvaccinated, which is uh, widespread community transmission and a rate of right around two cases per 100,000 per day in the vaccinated population. And that is, uh, that's sporadic transmission to the point where you don't really, you need to be, be aware, but you don't need to do a whole lot to protect against uh, spread. But those are two very different populations and the management of them are very different. The other concern, Bill, as we talked about before, is what's your definition of infection? It turns out in Israel, they are rapidly case finding and anybody that was a contact, they're performing RT-PCR. They define an infection as anyone with a positive RT-PCR, no matter whether they're, it's a low level of virus in their nose or a high level. And so they're overestimating the uh, degree of infection among those that are vaccinated. Um, other parts of the country are really only testing vaccinated individuals who are symptomatic. So the and that's why the attack rates among vaccinated in the U.S. is far, far lower. Bill, it seems to suggest that as people pick and choose the data, they seem to be doing it for uh, various reasons, some of which, you know, could be to drive clicks and eyeballs and, and such. Some may be for political reasons based upon, you know, the various uh, commentary some new data that's emerging. What are you advising, you and Fred, advising your clients to do uh, with respect to reopening, with respect to social distancing, et cetera? Is there any change of course? I'm generally not advising a change in course right now. I'm also, while we're, the, the dust is still settling with, co with uh, the Delta variant. I'm not saying to, to move rapidly ahead with reopening, but also don't use Delta as an excuse to go back to, uh, to keeping offices closed, not bringing people in. The biggest question that I'm finding with a lot of, a lot of firms is, is almost a cultural question. Are, do they or do they not want to ask if their staff has been vaccinated? Uh, that's where that's kind of the first big divide. Uh, with while we're talking about an authorized vaccine and not an approved vaccine, that makes them a little bit uncomfortable with making personnel management decisions based on whether someone is vaccinated or not. But I, what is clear to me is that companies should be very comfortable bringing people back into the office for vaccinated people unvaccinated people, or especially if you have a large number of unvaccinated people in your workforce, which means you have to have asked the question to know, that does get problematic because you can very rapidly spread, vac spread virus amongst unvaccinated people in a, in a workforce. But if you're all vaccinated, then there's or a large number, or at least the people that you are, you're having back in the office are vaccinated, then, then that's fine.
in my opinion. I, um, Fred, I'd be interested in what your thoughts are on that. Bill, I agree completely with you. Those that are vaccinated are safe. They will not uh, get serious disease and they will not spread the infection. The problem is those that aren't vaccinated when it comes to the Delta agent. There was an ABC report of a case in Australia where uh, there was a camera that actually uh, sh showed two people walking by each other. One was infected, the other was uninfected, and they faced each other and just passed by. And the individual who was uninfected became infected and they actually did sequencing of that virus. It was identical to the other individual who was infected. So just casually walking by somebody can spread the Delta agent. This is much worse than the wild type. And therefore, in a work environment, if you're unvaccinated, uh, you could be spreading it to other individuals that are not vaccinated very, very easily. And it raises concerns whether masks are even sufficient. I worry whether anybody who is not vaccinated should be coming into the workspace. And so the points here both are making here is that the people who are most at risk to the Delta variant are not those who have been vaccinated, but to the contrary, the people who have not been vaccinated. Exactly. There was some um, data that came out of Israel, and I, I think both of you have alluded to it, just uh, that seemed to raise some questions about relative efficacy between one uh, vaccine versus the other. Uh, any insights that are worth sharing? As far as the uh, protection uh, from, this is the issue that we just talked about a little bit, sir, but to clarify, um, the Great Britain, UK, has studied the Delta agent and the efficacy of Moderna and Pfizer, actually specifically Pfizer. They found that if you had two in the two injections, that your the efficacy dropped minimally from 94 to 88% as far as symptomatic disease, mild to moderate symptomatic disease. So still excellent efficacy. Uh, Israel claims it's about 63%, so much lower. But as I mentioned, they are actually doing RT-PCR on people who are contacts that don't have any symptoms. And I so they are actually underestimating, in my uh, view, the efficacy of uh, the Pfizer vaccine to the Delta agent. I think it's better than 63%. I would put it at about 85 to 88%. Which is consistent with what other uh, investigators around the, around the world have found. Again, helpful because uh, the news certainly ran this week with the uh, purported report out of Israel about the... Um, efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine being potentially less than Moderna and raising questions about uh, the degree of efficacy. But remember, I, I, one thing I've got to make a point on with yeah. that is that was the way the, that the 
uh, media portrayed that. When you read what the scientists who were putting that out said was they said the good news is that it is still very efficacious. They were looking at, you know, 65-ish percent efficacy. Is That's not bad for a vaccine against a virus. So that's kind of worst casing it is still not bad. And that is only looking at efficacy against prevention of symptomatic disease. The efficacy against prevention of severe disease and death still is near 100 and Bill, uh, thank you for, again, underscoring that for our audience, because too often it's the headline that that is driving decision-making. And as you said, it's the way the media is reporting, as opposed to how the scientists are uh, sharing data these days. Um, just in terms of, uh, there have been some reports, and I say this because of our, we have a number of people who either are in Asia traveling to Asia, there have been some questions about the efficacy of the Chinese vaccine. Do you have any perspectives or thoughts that you can share with the audience? Everything that I've seen is that the the the, the Sinovac vaccine, there's the Sinovac and the Sinopharm are the two major Asian vaccines. Most of the data that we see are about Sinovac. And remember, there is very little formal data that is coming out because the the Chinese will, is, are not reporting. So much of the data that we're getting is from um, you know, some of these some of the uh, smaller countries that are reporting their own data. So the data that we're seeing is not incredibly reliable in any event on on either of the the vaccines. But even with that, with the the Sinovac vaccine reporting efficacies in the in the 60s, so comparable to what we are seeing with the uh, with Pfizer, but there's not a high degree of confidence with that in, in, in by any means. Yeah, I found it disappointing that the Chinese have not published on their vaccines uh, in peer-reviewed journals, as far as I know. So it makes it very difficult for our uh, to assess the efficacy of their vaccine. And I assume the same is um, also the case with respect to um, Russia's vaccine that um, I know is being used in parts of South America, Latin America, etc., well, with the Russian vaccine, certain countries have just decided to stop using it because regardless of what has been reported, they were not having good good results with it. Now, but I would say, and I had this question um, asked me this morning, a group I was uh, from an Asian group that I was uh, doing a Q&A with, if they only have access to the Sinovac vaccine, should they pass and wait until sometime down the road when they have access to another? And I said, no, no, we have, we have, there is decent reported data out out there from third-party countries that um, there, there is a fair amount of efficacy. It's just uh, we don't we can't really put our a finger on exactly what that is. So it's it's better than nothing. But I, th- I think that has to be kept in mind. I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. All right. The um, other area of questions that have um, questions that have come up um, are dealing with the demographics and the age groups who should be taking the vaccine and is there anything new just in terms of uh, thinking about some of the younger generations um, the 12 to 18 uh, below 12 any update in terms of what the guidance you can give to you know parents one of the big news items that, uh, this morning and I think it's it's I, I haven't been following the 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 
TV news, but I think there's probably a lot out there, is a 13-year-old child who died of what appears to be, we're going to have to wait and see what the pathology comes out, myocarditis three days after uh, after getting the vaccine. And I don't recall which of the um, mRNA vaccines he received, um, but died died three days after. And it was, appears that it was myocarditis. And so now the, the drumbeat is that, see, this myocarditis is a big problem. It's not self-limited. We really need to rethink about giving it to kids. Well, the, the fact is that that type of reaction you know, on a very, very low level can happen with almost with so many kinds of vaccines. That is a it's that type of reaction is a, a known complication of vaccines because you suddenly spur the immune system and sometimes the immune system runs away a bit. Um, but you have to look at both sides of the risk. A case is not a does not change the the overall risk to any great extent. And you have to consider what are the real numeric risks in getting the vaccine and compare that against the very, the now very well-established numeric risks of getting the disease and then the complications that can go along with getting the disease. And when you, ca- when you go through and crank those numbers, the vaccine, including for the kids over 12, because we don't have the younger, the, the data on the younger kids yet, um, the data is still very much in favor of get vaccinated. And unfortunately, you know, yes, there will be these very sad cases, but you can't make decisions that way. You've got to look at what is the, the what are the risk factors on both sides. I completely agree with Bill on this. And one of the big concerns is that the kids are going to be going back to school in the early fall. And we've already seen there was an outbreak. I think it was a camp in Illinois where they had 130 cases of, of infection to, from the Delta agent in a camp uh, where they, uh, a large number were not vaccinated. So the danger is we're going to have an uptick as school starts, and this will cause all kinds of concerns to parents, will further interfere with the education of, of our young. And so I think it's very, very important um, that they be they be vaccinated so they will be safe at school. And clearly, the benefits far outweigh the risks. Friend Bill, first of all, thank you for those insights. Um, quick report from the streets of New York, uh, July 4th weekend. A lot of people uh, very, very tightly connected uh, for fireworks in the parks vast majority of people not wearing masks, uh, et cetera. Are you expecting an uptick in some of the infection data uh, in the next couple of weeks? What should we be looking for? And what are the insights that you think um, will be important? With the data that we've seen, um, I still, I think I probably talked about it last week out of, out of Australia about how minimal that contact can be to result in infection with the Delta variant. I think it would be surprising if we do not see an an uptick in the number of cases. But again, I go back to 
you know, if the if these are upticking cases in people who are vaccinated, and it is not causing severe disease, then that's not something to terrify us. Um, and then the people who, if it's an uptick in cases and people have not been vaccinated, then it's just one more piece of evidence that you need to go get vaccinated. Yeah, but uh, the good news is, Bill, in, in the New York uh, City area, the number of new cases per 100,000 is about one. So uh, the, the number of individuals that are likely to be infected in that crowd is relatively low. But as you say, the Delta agent at just uh, minimal contact could lead to spread, and there could be one individual that could become a super spreader very, very quickly. And Fred, I would just add to that, if you saw some of the crowds that had assembled uh, over the 4th of July weekend here in New York, um, some of these for sporting events, some for fireworks, some just naturally in the parks, uh, I couldn't help but um, think about both of you guys and, and um, you know, some of the data that may yet, you know, uh, reveal, uh, we'll call it the implications of the Delta virus and how many people are being vaccinated. I think the U.S. just hit, what, the 50% mark, I think, uh, notwithstanding the president's uh, goal of 70%. So um, uh, I assume we'll we'll have a fair amount to talk talk about next week. Well, so, and just to be just yeah. to be clear, so what the the president said is he wanted to see seventy percent of the country to get at least one, one shot vaccine, correct? Right, and we and we reached, I believe, it was sixty sixty seven percent, and where we stand right now is we're right at sixty nine percent of the population has had at least one shot. Um, Forty seven point six percent has completed vaccination. Right, um, but and that's the whole population, including children. So that number, you can actually multiply that for adults, you know, add a factor of 1.3 or so onto it, okay. uh, 1.2 maybe. So Bill, not trying to be the lawyer with the last word in court, but uh, we started the conversation with you saying people picking and choosing the data. Uh, and um, the president, when he first announced the initiative at 70%, uh, did not make the distinction between getting one shot and two, but as the pace kind of revealed itself, it became at least one shot. Either way, it's an accomplishment. Either way, there's obviously more work to be done. And at 50%, uh, the point that I think you and Fred are eloquently making is the Delta variant is a game changer. It, it is a um, possibility of it being uh, spread very, very quickly um, is important. And so the takeaway is people who have not been vaccinated should really do so forthwith. Agree completely. Okay. I agree. All right, guys, thank you so thank much you. for thank paying you, such careful and thoughtful attention uh, <laughs> to the data. So it's uh, uh, truly a great benefit to have you on. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, David. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the RAIN Expert Network. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution and get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily. Visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.